open them with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and um, we'll look at a couple of verses there. Normally when it's a part two of a sermon, thank you, Brother Barry, amen, praise God, all right, amen, 1 John chapter 1, so normally when it's a part two of a sermon, I, I don't normally always mention that because... I know some of you were worshiping other places this morning and we're not here for that. It's like, oh, well, we're, you know, just kind of hung out to dry here at part two and we didn't get part one. So um, I am mentioning that for a few reasons because a lot of folks listen to these messages later by recording or watch them on the Internet. And so if you jumped into this one without the morning message, stop what you're doing, go to the morning one first. And you get the full balance of that. But we'll do enough for you tonight, for those of you who are not here this morning, um, to help you. Uh, understand at least what we're talking about, but then also if you'd like to get a copy of those messages, there as always they're free, and we'd be happy to get that in your hands. But let's begin at First John chapter one, verse one. It says, "That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life." Look at me for a moment, please. Look at me for a moment, please. What we have here is John the beloved, the, one of Jesus's twelve disciples, and this is his firsthand testimony. This is his eyewitness testimony. It's not something he read about in a book. It's not something that somebody told him about that happened, you know, 100 years ago. This was John's life. This, this, this was his uh, experience. This, as we often say, this wasn't just something that he believed. This was something that he became. Um, this wasn't a story he made up, but this was uh, a life story that was making him and transforming him. And so, you know, sometimes we read through these words and these eyewitness testimony words, and, and I think even, especially where the world is concerned, and maybe even some in the church, that we think, well, people can just make stuff up. And, and you know, <clears throat> we have, you know, here of late in our world, this concept of fake news and people reporting things that's uncorroborated. But, but anyone of reputation doesn't do that. And even more so in, in, in Bible days. And so what John is saying here is that, that which was from the beginning. In other words, he's not just talking about Jesus' birth on this planet. He's talking about in the beginning he's, and beyond even. Amen. Um, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. In other words, we heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, our hands handled him concerning the word of life, speaking of Jesus. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, it may be clear, but let me point it out to you in case it's not. This is verse 1, chapter 1 of the um, epistle of 1 John. Let's orient ourselves in case, again, you're not fully aware of what's going on here. This is not John the Baptist. This is John the Beloved, okay? James and John, sons of thunder, okay? The disciple who was extremely close to Jesus. The disciple that Jesus gave care for his mother and that responsibility to from the cross. This was the disciple who um, did not run when Jesus was arrested, and he all the other disciples did, but he did not. He was there when he was arrested. He was there when he was tried. He was there when he was beaten. He was there when he was crucified. He was there when he died. He was there when they took him off the cross. And he was there 
um, three days later when the tomb was empty. Okay? Are you with me? Amen. And so he wrote this eyewitness account called the Gospel of John. Now, what we see is that later in his life, he wrote these letters that bear his name, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And at this point, John the Beloved, as he's often referred to, and by the way, one thing that I think is very interesting about John is that in the gospel that bears his name, his name is not mentioned. Anytime he would refer to himself, he would refer to himself as the other disciple or, my favorite, that disciple whom the Lord loved. Amen. All right. <laughs> when you look in the mirror in the morning, uh, shaving, brushing teeth, whatever, just look at yourself and give yourself a big old grin and point at yourself and says, well, right there is that disciple whom the Lord loved. Amen. Whom the Lord loves. Amen. He, in other words, you're the one that he loves. And John said, I'm the one that he loves. And he renewed his mind to the love that Jesus had for him. So at this point, when he's writing 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he is, <clears throat> to put it in words that maybe you can connect with or relate to, he's the elder statesman of the church. He, he, is, he is the one everybody looks to. He's the one with tremendous respect. This may be a bit of a stretch. You know, obviously he's, you know, way up in years, but kind of like Billy Graham, you know, he, in our day and age. I mean, he, this man who has lived a life of integrity, this man who has done so much for the, for the kingdom and for the cause of the gospel. Um, you know, so just to give you some comparison, this is, this is where John is, the respect that he has. And I want you to notice, of course, you know, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, so rich, so much pertaining to our walk and our life and, and, and living for God. But notice that the context of this introduction, verse 3 again, that which we have seen and heard and we declare to you. In other words, he watched Jesus cast out demons. He watched Jesus heal the sick. He watched Jesus walk on water. He watched Jesus raise the dead. He was anointed by Jesus to do many of those same things himself alongside Jesus with other disciples and then was baptized you know, in the Holy Spirit in the upper room um, and, of course, experienced many uh, ministry miracles himself. He, things that he uh, heard, he says, I'm now declaring to you. Things that he learned per firsthand from Jesus, he says, I'm passing that along to you. But notice, why is he doing it? Why is he recording this? Why is, you know, is, is he putting so much effort into this? Well, here we have it in verse 3. That you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Well, this is the line that he learned from Jesus, right? Jesus said, hey, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. In another place, Jesus says, I've told you these things so that my peace may be in you, right? That you can have the peace of God in your heart based upon the things that Jesus communicated um, and taught His disciples and, of course, uh, by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God is teaching you and me. Now, the part that I want to make sure you see before we move to some other stuff, and I'll do a little bit of review, all right, from this morning, <clears throat> is... All of the practical instructions that Paul gives us moving forward in 1 John, then 2 John, then 3 John, all of those practical instructions have this one idea in mind that you also may have fellowship with us. That you also may enjoy this tremendous fellowship 
that we have. And truly, anytime you see truly, anytime you say verily, ver see verily, verily, anytime you hear Jesus, for instance, say something like this, most assuredly, right? What you need to understand is those words are preparing you. It's almost like, brace yourself. It's almost like he's saying, all right, get ready because I'm fixing to tell you something that's, that if you're not careful, it'll sell right over your head because it's so important. But yet it is, it is so extreme that if you don't really prepare yourself to receive this, you're going to write yourself off as, as it not applying to you, as it not really meaning what, what it says. And, and, and the, Remember, like for instance, Jesus was about to be taken away from the disciples and he said it, that it had to be that way in order for him to send the Holy Spirit. And he says, most assuredly, I'm telling you that this is to your advantage. Why would he say that? Well, he's saying that because they, they can't see how in the world they're better off without him and having the Holy Spirit instead. So when Jesus says most assuredly, he's, he's preparing them because he knows that their minds are going to say, man, this isn't right, there's no way. Surely it would be better for Jesus just to stay and keep things as they are right now, so forth and so on. Again, this is what when John says, and truly... He's saying this, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not pulling your leg. I'm not making this up. Truly. What I'm telling you is the truth here. What I'm telling you seems so extreme, seems so far-fetched that if you're not careful, you'll just let it fly right over your head and keep on going like I didn't say it. So again, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Not just saying that our fellowship is with other believers. Thank God our fellowship is with other believers. Thank God our fellowship is, is with our families. And thank God we have fellowship with our spouses and with our children. All that's beautiful. And God's the source of every bit of that. All those healthy relationships God, God designed and intended. But what the, what the Apostle John is talking about here is not just so we can have better or more fellowship with other folks. He says the fellowship that I'm referring to is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, and I'm writing this to you so that you can have this fellowship because it's only in this fellowship that your joy will be at full capacity. There are other things that will bring you joy, but there's only one thing that will bring you full joy. Amen. <laughs> there's other things that, that you know, may bring you joy on a temporary basis. But he says, this is the secret to fullness of joy. As we said already this morning, the joy is found in the fellowship. Joy is found in the fellowship. Now, what I want to do tonight is, and we, we kind of took this on this morning, and I'm not about to try to preach the entire Old Testament to you. As a matter of fact, we just hit some high spots. But turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. And that's kind of a a middle spot for us to land tonight. And more than, I, you know, I, I started out calling this an overview. Um, I don't know if that's, that may be stretching it a bit. But what I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to help you and me to see uh, today is the fellowship that John is talking about Fellowship with the Father and fellowship with the Son, you and me enjoying that, that community, that joint participation, that oneness, that communion, that intimacy. That's all those um, 
All of those words are captured in that word translated fellowship. In the Greek, it's the word koinonia. That, that word fellowship. This, this was not a, a new thing as far as God was concerned that came on the scene in the New Testament. In other words, koinonia, our fellowship with us, was in the heart of God before He ever created us. You were created by God to have fellowship with Him. That's why He created you in the way that He did. You have other purposes. But all of those purposes are not just secondary to fellowship. They are dependent upon fellowship. So, for instance, in order to have dominion in life, it requires you have fellowship with God. God created you to rule over you, yes, but I believe it's more accurately stated, God created you to rule through you. He he created you to be a co-laborer, a partner with Him. Amen. He gave us a lease on this planet, and, and we're stewards here. And the only way we can fulfill that is through Him. We, we, we can't do what He created us to do. I can't do what He created me to do. You can't do what you created to, He created you to do without Him. Amen. And so again, we have other purposes. Those things were, were spelled out in, in general terms at our creation, at Adam's creation. But we see that those things are not just secondary to the primary purpose of fellowship, but that these other purposes are dependent upon our fellowship with Him. In other words, you ruling and reigning in life, Romans 5, is directly connected to you receiving the gift of righteousness. Right? An abundance of grace. He said this in Romans 5, I think it's 21 or 19. Amen. Praise God. You just stay right there in, in Jeremiah. Amen. We're just going with the Holy Spirit right now. And as always, we went all the way through. Amen. You still with me? You get anything out of this? All right. So Romans 5. I want to get the verse right. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, praise God. 17. Um, Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one. That's Adam. Much more. Somebody say much more with me. Much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now did God not tell Adam to have dominion? Did he not tell him to dominate in his domain? That if anything got out of line to subdue it. Well, as long as Adam was in fellowship with God, he was able to do that. But when Adam's sin separated him from God, we see that the enemies of God that Adam was to have dominion over now had dominion over Adam. So we've been given an abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. An abundance of grace and a gift of righteousness. And I'm hoping now that you'll see, because notice it says, again, in Romans 5 and 17, Abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. To the casual observer, you would think, okay, that's all fine and dandy, but what in the world does reigning in life have to do with the gift of righteousness? Well, now you see, right? The gift of righteousness has restored us back into right standing with God, right relationship with Him, made fellowship with Him possible. Now through that fellowship, we once again are ruling and reigning in life. Not over other people, over devils and demons and circumstances and situations. So we see that we were created by God to have fellowship with Him. We see that fellowship was broken when Adam sinned. But just because mankind turned its back on God and walked away from God, God did not give up on mankind. And while the Old Testament is filled with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, even God's own people, who couldn't be bothered by Him, who didn't have time for Him, are you hearing me tonight? That would rather do other things than be close to Him. We do see exceptions. Men like Enoch, men like Moses, men like Abraham, men like King David. Amen. 
How about this? And, and we, what we did this morning is we tried to look at a lot of different verses, like where David talked about, one thing I've desired, dwell in the house of the Lord. And the Lord's, all these, you know, these efforts on God's behalf to still be as close to His people, as close to His created ones and His image and likeness as He could possibly be. Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, tabernacle in the wilderness. God wasn't content just remaining in heaven watching His people go from Egypt to their promised land. He wanted an elaborate tabernacle built, portable, uh, you know, uh, church on wheels, amen, built so that He could come and dwell amongst His people in that tabernacle to get as close to them as He possibly could. Is that not amazing? Here's a, here's a tremendous verse. Listen to this one right here. If you don't think God has desired fellowship with us from, from before day one, then how about this verse right here? He says to His beloved Israel, how many times did I want to gather you to Myself like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. Think about that. God is wanting to bring them close to protect them, Bring them close to nurture them. Bring them close to love on them. To, to, to take those who, who are His and, and draw them in close to Himself. Personal, close, intimate, oneness, right? They refused it. They refused it. Now, let's jump in here at Jeremiah chapter 31. This will be easy for you to remember. At least these kinds of clues and hints help me. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. So 31.31, amen. This, was, uh, this is God speaking, okay? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see God's desire for fellowship with man in many different ways, in many different forms. One of the ways and forms that we see it is in what would be called types and shadows. For instance, uh, lambs were brought to be slaughtered by the priests to provide a covering for sin. All of this is typical or a shadow foreshadowing the day when Jesus, the Lamb, who was slain from before the foundations of the world, in other words, before Adam was ever created, Jesus had already agreed to be the sacrifice. Come on now, are you with me? To be the sacrifice for your sin and for mine. So the spotless Lamb, right, was Jesus. And, um, and so all of these things are pointing to not just a new day, but they're pointing to a new covenant that would make the new day possible. Now, a covenant is a formal agreement that creates a relationship. 
you could say, Pastor, that's kind of watering it down or simplifying it. And, well, yes, I mean, there's obviously more to covenants than that. But if you want to really, I think, connect with it, you've got to start simple and then build from there. So again, a formal agreement that creates a relationship. And one of the most recognizable forms of covenant, both in the Old Testament days, New Testament day, and our day, is the covenant between a man and a woman that is also known as a marriage covenant that takes two people and makes them one. Makes them one. Now, you could almost refer to the Bible as a book of covenants. Amen. Because what we see, of course, is... You know, beginning in the Garden of Eden where God killed the animals to make coverings for, uh, you know, Adam and Eve after they had sinned to, to, to protect them, you know, from the, the elements and so forth. And then, of course, you know, we see this huge covenant that was made between God and, and Abraham. And then we see that covenant, you could almost say renewed, uh, uh, you know, refreshed, restored uh, once again between God and the descendants of Abraham when Moses brought them out um, of, of slavery in Egypt. And this, of course, is what God is referring to in the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah. Are you still with me? So, covenants create relationships. Covenants create relationships. And the reason God wanted a new covenant and the Old Testament is, is consistently pointing forward to a new covenant that is to come is because the covenants that were in place in the Old Testament, although they created a relationship between God and His people, it was not the kind of relationship that, that God desired. God desired close, intimate, personal fellowship with His people. And those covenants, one, one place it says it created a relationship between God and His people that was much like that between a herdsman and his cattle. In other words, there was a disconnect. There, there, there was, there, there was um, uh, you know, that's, we've been, you know, emphasizing this idea that relationship can be way too vague, right? Have a relationship with Regents Bank, relationship with a governor, relationship with your poodle. It's not, the, it's not the same. Amen. So covenants create relationships, and the relationships that were formed by those old covenants, um, they did not make or provide the kind of relationship or fellowship that God longed to have with his people. Are you still with me tonight? So this is why the, the Old Testament is constantly talking about this new day that's coming that is going to be created by a new covenant. Now what we know, of course, is, and Isaiah weighed in on this, obviously speaking of the Messiah, right, that the, that the iniquity of us all would be laid upon him. Come on now. That the chastisement for our peace, right, he would endure it so that we could have peace with God. That he would take our sin like the scapegoat. It would be laid upon him and he would carry it away. Not just cover it over, but remove it from us. Never to be held against us, never to be remembered, remembered against us again. So let's go back now with that background and consider the announcement that's being made. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. You do realize that the days that were coming in Jeremiah 31 have already come in our day. In other words, we're living on the other side of this new covenant. In other words, we're living in the fulfillment of what's being prophesied here in Jeremiah 31. Just trying to get you excited about that, amen? The book of Hebrews, of course, refers back to these passages as well. But let's stay focused here. 
Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Let, let me stop by here. Not according to that covenant. Why would God have to say that if it's going to be a new covenant? Well, because when the covenant was, was refreshed, I don't, know the, you know, I don't know the right word to use here, with Moses and the nation of Israel coming out of slavery, it was basically a renewing of the covenant that God had already made with Abraham. So, are you following what I'm saying? So, we had it made with Abraham, and then God makes it again with Abraham's descendants through Moses. But God is saying, look, I want you to know that there's a new covenant, and it's not just going to be a refreshing of the, of the previous two. This, is one, this one is going to be radically different. This one's going to be, it's going to change everything. Amen. My covenant which they broke, though I was a, notice that, a husband to them, says the Lord. See, that's covenant term. That's covenant talk there. He was saying what? I was faithful to them, but they weren't faithful to me. I honored my word to them, but they did not honor their word to me. So therefore, what? No fellowship. No fellowship. I want to jump ahead just while we're on this point. You do realize that the covenant that we now have with God, even when we're not faithful to Him, He remains faithful to us. Thank you, Jesus. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I don't know if I have time to connect all these dots tonight, but if you, you can study this out for yourself, when they heard this, they were thinking God was about to write 415 commandments on their hearts because that was, those were the commandments that they were familiar with. So they're thinking, man, you're going to have to write really small, God. <laughs> you follow? Words, think about if there, were, if there were 415 different commandments, ordinances, laws, what have you, established by God, that if you broke one of them, you were cursed and guilty of all of them. I mean, how, how even to remember all of that, right? And so they hear this, and okay, he's going to write them on our hearts. And somehow God is going to supernaturally help us remember this. Well, he's going to write them on your heart, and he's going to help you supernaturally remember it. But he's not going to write 415 commandments on your heart. He's going to write two. He's going to write, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the commandments that he has written upon the hearts of New Testament believers. Come on now. Two. Two. Whew. I'm getting excited about that, right? Amen. I can make a, I can make a run at that. Amen. I can, amen. I can remember that. Praise the name of the living God. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but what did he say? He said, keep these commandments. Me and my dad will dwell with you. We will make our abode with you. We'll be right there in you, right there with you, right there close. Amen. So he's going to write his commandments on our hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let's, you say, well, what really is different about that? Because God called them his people in the Old Testament, did he not? Yes, he did. Was he not their God? Yes, he was. The difference, of course, is back to how many times that I want to gather you myself and you would not, right? So God says, we're going to put a covenant in place that's going to solidify this thing once and for all, right? 
Not just my subjects, but my offspring. How about this one, verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. Now, this is the heart of God, and this is the reason or the purpose behind a new covenant. Is He wants people to know Him. Come on now. It's, you say, it's like we, we live in a day where that sounds so simple. We have so complicated Christianity. We have so complicated what it means to live the Christian life. We, we, we've come up with all these things that, you know, this, this is what we got to do to be a Christian. Listen, being a Christian isn't about what you do. It's about what's been done for you. I'm, listen to me, please. You know, it was, it was Mark, you know, you're just, you're just up there preaching heresy. You, we we got to live right. We got, yes, we do have to live right, but we can't live right without him. I'm telling you, you, I triple dog dare you. Focus on fellowship with him and see how your behavior issues improve. Because the Christian life isn't about you trying to live up to something. It's about allowing him to live in you and through you. Him becoming one with you. And you and him together doing what you cannot do without him. That's the Christian life. That's the good news we have to go tell the world. Because so many New Testament Christians have more of a relationship with the rules in the Bible than the God of the Bible. They tend to present to people who need to know God a relationship with those same rules. And we begin by what we believe is going to happen to somebody who breaks the rules. Are you going to, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven or would you go to burn in eternal hell with Satan and all of his demons? Hell's a real place. Heaven's a real place. But notice that's how we present it to people. And then folks that don't know Jesus look at people who, who say they do. And a lot of times folks who say they do seem to have more problems than the ones who say they don't. I mean, I'm just being plain about it. I mentioned the book uh, by Leonard Sweet and Frank Viola, The Jesus Manifesto. He says, imitate God as dear children is a bad translation. Not because it isn't accurate in the sense that that's what the word means, but Imitation means something to us in our day that it did not mean to them in their day. And he goes on to explain that when we hear imitation, we think that we're trying to act like something we're not. Right? That, so let's say, um, you know, I don't know exactly why, but over the years the Lord has blessed us with more than one brother who impersonates Elvis. Okay, come on now. Who's with me? We had a brother who came here for, for a while, and he had the full grown hair, the sideburns, you know, and, and he, looked like, he looked like Elvis. And we had another brother, his name was James Bond. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. And they sat right over in this section here. 
And um, somebody asked me one time, they said, was, I forget who it was, they said, was so-and-so at church? I didn't see him this morning. And I wasn't trying to be funny. I said, yeah, he was sitting over there in between James Bond and Elvis. And I was like, oh, wait a second, man, what in the world? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> All right, so someone who is an Elvis impersonator, right, they're imitating Elvis. The idea is that we all know they're not Elvis. That they're just trying to have his look, his mannerisms, the tones in his voice, vibrato, whatever, when he sings, and maybe even shake a leg like him or whatever, you know what I'm saying? But anybody watching him, even if you're entertained by that sort of thing as an Elvis fan, you know that you're not watching Elvis. Just somebody who's trying to imitate him. See, when we strive to live like Jesus, we're not trying to imitate Jesus. Jesus lives inside of us. Elvis if an Elvis impersonator says that Elvis, the original Elvis, lives inside of them, has become one spirit with their spirit, you might want to get them checked into a mental hospital, okay? Because that hasn't happened. But the Lord Jesus Christ lives in me. I said the Lord Jesus Christ lives in me. His spirit has become one spirit with my born-again spirit. And he dwells within me now both to will and to do Father's good pleasure in my life here upon this earth. See, that's, com that's a completely different thing. So Frank, Vi Frank Viola Leonard Sweet, this is what they say. It's not imitation. It's impartation. It's incarnation. Amen. It's implantation. He's been planted in me, which gives me the wherewithal to not try to shake a leg and be like him, but I'm a member of his body. When I shake my leg, I'm shaking his. You see there's a difference there, right? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. You say, this is kind of worded odd, Pastor Mark. What is he saying here? The idea behind it is that it, it was presented in those days as an unattainable goal. It was, it was presented in a way like, know the Lord, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, right, who can know God? Because it even talks about that, right, in the Old Testament. So what he's saying here, the way this is worded, he's emphasizing that this new covenant is going to make this pipe dream a reality. And how is it going to do it? No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. It does not say sins as in plural. Are you with me? But sin meaning what? As, as that beautiful hymn, It Is Well With My Soul says, my sin, not in part, but the whole. I will remember their sin no more. Uh, and their sin I will remember no more. In other words, he's not talking about the sin that you've committed up until today. But he's talking about any sin that you may commit tomorrow or the next day or, or 20 years from now. It's not a factor anymore. Now, where does the time go? I'm convinced, well, let me, 
let me just step back from that point for just a moment, okay? The Bible makes it very clear that there are certain things we must know and understand in order to make sense of other things that God has to teach us. Perhaps one of the clearest um, communications of this was when Jesus said to his own disciples, there's still so many more things I have to teach you, but you can't bear them now, you can't receive them now. But the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he'll systematically walk you through these things. The Bible says that the truth of God is built into our lives, line upon line, precept upon precept. So the idea is that if you've ever watched someone lay brick, you know that they have to lay row one before they can lay row two, and they have to lay row one and two before they can lay row three, line upon line. You following me? So in the same way, like for instance, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, Jesus said, if you can't understand this parable, how will you understand all the others? In other words, it's a master key parable. It unlocks the other ones. If you can't understand that one, then the other ones are, gonna, are not going to make sense to you. I'm convinced that one of the foundational elements that has to be in place in our lives for us to even begin to understand the grace of God is we have to understand God's deep longing and tremendous desire to have fellowship with us. If you don't understand that, and somebody like me starts trying to tell you about the lavish grace of God, the, that He's made you righteous, that He took all of your sin um, and removed it from you, never to be held against you again, that read your Bible. He's not even keeping a record of it any longer. 2 Corinthians 5. See, you, you just hear that and you go, if that's true, then we just go live however we want to live. Paul says, God forbid. That's not what this is about, right? You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. But listen to me, please. When you understand how much he desires to have fellowship with you, then you are at least in a better position to understand why he has gone to such lengths and to such personal expense to himself to make that fellowship possible. Right? You follow what I'm saying? One last thing. You say, well, why did, he, why did he agree to all of this knowing ahead of time where it was going to lead? Don't misunderstand me. Father has a purpose for us, and he has a purpose for this earth, and he needs you and me as far as the purposes for this earth are concerned. But if there was no earth, there would be no purposes for the earth. And there would be no need for us to help him with those purposes. Yes? Okay. Here, if you really study it through and if you really think it out, this is the only conclusion we can come to, that I can come to, amen, in my, in my heart, in my understanding of where I am in the scriptures, is that, the, the, is that God created me because he wanted me, not because he needed me. He wanted me. Wow. Think about that for a moment. Let's not forget that he made it just fine for 10 zillion years, however long eternity is going backwards. He made it that long without us. Just fine. Happy as bug in a rug, whatever. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Amen. You say, well, he created us to get worship and praise and glory from us. When you consider the hundreds of billions of people that have lived on planet Earth and the microscopic number of those folks who've known Him and worshipped Him and praised Him, uh, I don't know. 
<laughs> you think it was worth it? I don't know. You see what I'm saying? It comes back to he wanted you. say, well, okay, well then, then if he knew the whole thing was going to go off the rails, then, you know, Jesus already agreed to die for us before. <clears throat> Maybe I just opened too big of a can to finish, but let me just say it this way, all right? Let's go back to the C.S. Lewis quote. You were created for fellowship with God. Without fellowship with Him, your life will never have the meaning and the purpose that it was intended by God to have. You were created for Him. C.S. Lewis quote is this. You were created to run on God in the same way an automobile was created to run on petroleum. So when God created you that way, to be a just and holy God, he had to commit himself to doing whatever it took to make sure he was available to you. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, how, forgive me, Lord, you know my heart, how terrible would it have been for him to create us where we could never be satisfied without him, but not willing to commit himself to do whatever it took for, uh, for him to always be available to us. You follow what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know if I'm saying this right. I'm trying hard. And I'm trying to do it quickly. It was kind of all or nothing. Is that a way of saying it? In other words, I'm fixing to create a being that will never be satisfied without fellowship with me because I'm creating them for that purpose. But if I want to do that, it's going to require me to obligate myself to them to always do whatever it takes for them to have access to me. And so the day came when he said, you know what, enough of this on again, off again. I'm going to pay their debt so that I can be both a just God and the one who justifies them forever. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Can I just tell you that it's even better than we know? <laughs> that it truly is amazing grace. It's not just rational grace. It's amazing grace. It's sad to me that so many believers drop out as soon as the grace gets Amazing. As soon as the grace gets more than they can comprehend, they think, well, it can't be that good. No, it's actually better than that good. You know, the Bible says that the grace of God has so positioned you with God that you can't even be accused of sin. You can't even be, you say, oh, pastor, it's dangerous to be preaching this stuff. No, 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 it's not dangerous. First John 3 says, if you have this hope in you, you'll purify your life. When you understand how bad he wants you and how bad he wants you to know him and how bad he wants you to, to, to walk with him and him with you and, and that he has done everything that he's done for you, not just because he pitied you and, and felt bad because you were going to die in hell. No, no, it, it was because he loved you and he wanted you and you begin to realize and understand the price that he paid to get you back. It's amazing how that will motivate you. 
to get as far away from anything in your life that interferes with your fellowship with him as possible. Amen. Father, you're good to us and we love you. Thank you, Father, Lord, that we haven't just heard your word tonight, but we've experienced it. We haven't just listened to your word tonight, Father, but we've received it. Father, that we haven't just sat in a room to mark a, another Sunday night off of our religious duty calendar, Father, but we have, Lord, with an open heart and an open face, beheld, Lord, as in a mirror, your glory a little more clearly and are therefore being changed into your very image just a little more progressively. So thank you, Father, for loving us, for always believing the best about us, for never giving up on us. Father, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have somebody in their life that's really hurt them, but yet they still love that person. Not a person in this room, Father, that hasn't even maybe had a close family member do something in some way to them that has, that has hurt them and wounded them, and yet, in spite of that wounded heart, Lord, they still love that person with a deep, intense love. Father, how much more? Even though we've turned our backs on you, even though, Father, we've gone our own way, even though we've hurt you and broken your heart time and time again, you've still loved us with a deep, intense, eternal love. Help us, Father, embrace that love. The rules can't save us, Father. But you can and you have. So, Father, teach us to have a relationship with you instead of a relationship with the rules. Teach us, Father, how to let Jesus live in us and let him live large in us. Strong in us. Beautifully in us. Teach us, Father, to walk in this love that you've written and are now pouring out in our hearts. And we want our lives to be fruitful, Father. We want our lives to count. We want our lives to make a difference for you and for your kingdom and for your glory. May it be so, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. I love you. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for your sacrifice of praise. Amen. We love